that's fine. All righty. Well, good morning. Wait, two minutes so I can say good morning, everyone. Welcome to the 8th. This is our second service here at St. Mark Church. Um, and I do want to share why this is one of my favorite 8s that I'll probably ever attend. Why I like eight, like when we have sessions of the eight like this, is because I get to have a seat and I get to drink my coffee like all of you and kind of unwind because I am off duty this afternoon as we are very honored and blessed to have a very special guest. Dr. Mark Gerges um, is a, a great preacher, a great communicator, coming all the way from Los Angeles. We brought him all the way from Los Angeles um, to train some of our volunteers. La uh, yesterday we had like a volunteer appreciation day with all the volunteers of the church and um, he kind of led us through uh, a lot of that yesterday and it was great. Friday night he spoke uh, to our high schoolers about sexuality and it was great. So I asked Mark, can we kind of run you dry before you catch a flight later this afternoon back to Los Angeles if you can give the aid as well. So, uh, you know, I've known Mark uh, I've known him, I've, I've heard him preach many, many times, but I haven't been able to know him personally until recently. Uh, so he's a great guy. I love Mark, so we're very grateful for Mark uh, to be able to come and uh, teach us here at the 8. Before Mark comes up here, I, I want to highlight something. Is Every Sunday here at St. Mark Church, we always have the 8. This will always be a staple as far as having a second service here at the church. But it will always be different. It will always evolve. It will be different over various topics, different activities, so forth and so on. Like, that's the long-term vision of what the eight is in designed to be. Two weeks from today, we're doing something unique at the eight. is we're going to be having a ministry fair in which this room will be set up with tables of different teams and ministries that exist here at San Mark Church. And why I'm, I'm highlighting this is I encourage all of you if you are kind of one foot into Christianity as a whole, maybe you're one foot into St. Mark Church, and maybe you're questioning a lot of things, that's totally fine. You're at the right place, but I encourage you to maybe take a step to volunteer in some capacity here at the church. So in two weeks, we're having a ministry fair in which you will see different aspects of the church and different volunteers kind of sharing their part of their ministry, their, their team, and their part of the service uh, to kind of encourage you maybe to take a step and maybe to be engaged in some aspect of ministry here at San Mark Church. So again, so I wanted to tease that out. That's in two weeks from today. But every Sunday, we're always going to have the eight regardless, all right? So without further ado, I'm going to enjoy my coffee, and we'll bring Mark up here to lead us in a talk. If we give Mark a big hand for me, please. Good morning, Mark. You need more coffee? Good. Good morning, everyone. It has been a huge blessing and a privilege to be here at St. Mark's Atlanta for the last few days. And uh, I've really gotten to meet a lot of great people. And this church, uh, I noticed a lot of the ministries that we talked about yesterday did an amazing job today. I'm actually very proud of you guys, and uh, it is a very welcoming atmosphere. So good job. So do you guys know why we had those yellow dates in the back? Some people don't, but we always have it at this time of the year because this is the celebration of our Coptic New Year, which is in two days. And why the yellow dates? Well, they used to have, yes, go ahead. Because we don't have wet dates in the U.S. 
Yeah. They used to have red dates. And why red dates at this time of the year? So the Coptic New Year is in two days. And it reminds us of the blood of the martyrs that was shed to preserve the faith for us. I actually love the beginning of the Coptic New Year because it reminds us of the amazing saints that we decorate our church with and all the things that they've done. And it really is supposed to be inspiring to us. But I don't know if we take it as an inspiring opportunity. So I wanted to read with you a passage in Hebrews 12. 1 to 4. You guys all have your Bibles? On your phones? I think it's a benefit to you. If you guys bring your Bibles to this meeting, people believe you actually go to like a, a Bible-believing church, you know, when you walk in here, and you will actually develop a relationship with your Bible when you get verses and you want to highlight and you can take notes. I think it is good for you for the adult meeting, uh, the 8, if you want to. Um, I always tell the people at my church, bring your Bibles to the Bible study. Kind of crazy request, but that's what I do. Okay, so Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 4. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know what this is talking about? It's talking about running a race. It's all about how to run the race. It's important for us to realize that we are actually in a race. You want to know what happens before chapter 12? Chapter 11. It's amazing how they put them right in order. And it's all about, you guys need to know Hebrews 11 is a chapter about the heroes of faith. It's a whole list of great people from the Old Testament who lived amazing lives in difficult situations. Where Moses was against Pharaoh, where Noah had to prepare for an ark, prepare an ark for a flood a hundred years away. Like they had to go through difficult things. Abraham left and because of their faith, they reached the end of the race. St. Paul is saying, well, now that you have all those examples, it's your job to run the race. Did you guys realize you're in a race? That's unfortunate. We have to be running. And if you're running a race, you want to know there's usually a finish line and an end. Where are you racing towards the end? What's the end? As a Christian, what are you running for? Where are you running to? Oh, we're running to the kingdom of heaven. Yes. But you know the goal of the Christian life is not just to get into the kingdom of heaven. In the Orthodox Church, our goal is to be united with Christ and to become like Christ. That's our journey. And you will reach the finish line, but that is the race. To become like Christ and united with him so much. Can you imagine someone who's united with Christ so much that will not go to the kingdom of heaven? That'll be the... That'll be the result. So I, it actually goes along with what Abuna was preaching about today. That if you endure to the end, you will be saved. You want to know why St. Paul wrote this epistle? He wrote it to a group of uh, people called the Hebrews. And who was he writing to? They were Jewish people that had converted to Christianity. 
And that was a big deal. At that time, the Jewish congregation, the community, outcast the ones who converted. We were the chosen people, and all of a sudden you become Christian. They started to ostracize them. They were losing their jobs. They were getting beaten. They were getting imprisoned. Everyone was against them. So then the new converts were going through this struggle. And so St. Paul uses this word sluggish. They had become sluggish in their Christian walk. Some of them were thinking of going back to Judaism because being Christian was difficult. And so he says, stop drifting. He actually says, you're drifting and you're sluggish. Do you think, does that word describe, probably no one at St. Mark you, Atlanta, right? Because Abun has got so much energy. You guys are not sluggish, right? You guys are always getting up and running and going from here to there, right? It describes me at times. I'm very sluggish sometimes to read my Bible or to stand up and pray or should we come to the liturgy early? Uh, we get very sluggish, right? Should we go to the meeting? And we're like, how much of us are living a sluggish Christian life? Does sluggish go along with running a race? They shouldn't. They shouldn't. A person who's motivated is running a race with conviction and with direction. And I just don't know if many of us are. We would not be sluggish if we had our eyes set on a goal. So if you look at Philippians chapter 3. That's all right. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be the one that flips to it. Don't, you don't have to do it. Uh, St. Paul uses this concept of a race very often in his epistles. He uses it in Philippians and in Colossians. And Philippians 3, he talks about this in verse 12. Not that I've already attained or am already perfected. St. Paul is writing this. This is at the end of his life. He's pretty much preached to all of Asia and most of Europe and has done so much. And he's like, but I'm not there yet. So he says what? I press on. Like I'm running. I press on that I might lay hold of that for which Christ has laid hold of me. I don't count myself to have apprehended but one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind, I'm reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Are we pressing towards the goal? Not if you don't know the goal. So, I wanted to talk about this race a little bit. And going back to Hebrews chapter 12. So, I, I do believe that most things in life, you need to have a goal. I believe in goal-oriented Christianity in your spiritual life. You don't just go haphazardly, you really end up nowhere. But when you have a strategic plan and a goal, you can accomplish them. And I know like you're not going to just become like Christ overnight, it takes time, but you start with smaller goals that are attainable. You say, oh, I'm going to read the Bible, and you think, oh, the whole, uh, it's too intimidating. But you say, well, I'm going to start reading one chapter a day, or I'm going to start reading the New Testament, or whatever, then all of a sudden you will reach a goal because you have a plan. But if you don't have a plan, guess what you reach? Nowhere. So do you have a purpose and a plan for running your race? Now, you're heading towards the target of being one with Christ. St. Paul in Hebrews 12, he also says, Pursue holiness without which no one will see the Lord. What? Pursue holiness without which 
no one will see the Lord. What is he talking about pursuing? That's running. That's chasing. That's going towards a goal. I'm running towards holiness. It says, peace with all people and holiness. How many of you are running towards holiness? Like, no, no, that, that's for the people on the wall. That's not for us. Actually, that's supposed to be all. God said, you should be holy as I am holy. He said that to everyone. We are called to be holy. We're running towards holiness. We're running towards Christ. So, I got to tell you that as you're running, this is, you know, there's always like a race and there's competitors. You want to know who's trying to hinder your race? Satan is trying to knock you off your path as much as he can. And the thing about this is that just because you are pushed down doesn't mean the race is over. If you ever seen Chariots of Fire or some of those amazing races where someone falls down and gets back up, you don't lose the race. And St. Paul talks about this in Ephesians 6. You don't lose the race because you've fallen. You lose the race because you've given up, because you've stopped running. It doesn't matter when you get there, but it's important that you get there. So you keep running. Now, I want to ask you, if you are in a race, how many, so we're at the new year or end of last year, and since we're trying to move forward, I want to ask you, if you were to look back at the last year, have you made much progress in the last year in your spiritual life in getting towards Christ? Let me say, well, I, I need more time. Um, can you look at, okay, the last 10 years, if you were to look at where your spiritual life was 10 years ago and where it is today, is it much different? Some of us are going to say, no. You know what that means? It means we're sluggish. It means we're not making progress. And I think it's interesting in the spiritual life, if you're not moving forward, you think you're just staying still. Actually, you're not. There's no such thing as staying still. You're usually backsliding. You may not know it, but you're actually slowly getting further away from Christ. So if I said, let's examine the last 10 years, which for some of us is maybe 20 to 25% of our lives, or some of you it's almost like half of your lives it looks like. If in 10 years you haven't made any progress, then how much more time do you need? How much time do you need to reach your goal? How many of you know how much time you have left to reach your goal? I don't. And since I don't know how much time I have left, which is something we always think about at the end of the year, it's like if I didn't do much for the last year, I better do something with the next year. I better run harder. I better run better. I just want to ask you, like if you had a project at work, how many of you guys have like projects where your boss says, hey, you know what, go ahead, take your time. Even if it takes 10 years, just try to finish it someday, you know, and just let me know how it goes. That never happens. That's at work. They expect you to make progress at work. What about your spiritual life? Because what's the result of making progress? It's not a raise. It's eternal life. It's heaven. It's joy. It's everything that you are here for. Why are we not moving forward? So the question is, are we making progress? So if we go back to this passage... He broke down this four verses in Hebrews into four things. Number one is, as a Christian, you have to have a goal. So tonight, today, if you don't have a goal that I need to pursue holiness and I need to become like Christ and with Christ, then you've missed everything. So you have to have a goal. The second thing he talks about in this passage is 
we have an inspiration. We have a cloud of witnesses. And I don't know if you understand this idea of a cloud of witnesses. He's talking about in that time they would run in a stadium and there would be, you know, like the stadiums have high seats and the people that were up in the highest seats were called being in the cloud. So the cloud of witnesses was like the highest level. But who are witnesses? Does anyone know what the word witness means in Greek, like the Greek word for witness? Does anyone know what, it mean, what the Greek word is for witness? Huh? It actually means martyr. Martyr is the same word as witness. So it's like we have a great cloud of martyrs showing us the end of the race. Have you ever looked at the end of the race for some of these amazing people that are on the wall? St. George, who went through every single torture for seven years. Like, their stories are unbelievable. But what I want you to realize is that the cloud of witnesses are not just people who died thousands of years ago. I have the extreme privilege of serving persecuted Christians in different parts of the world, specifically Nigeria, Egypt, Syria, Iraq, and Lebanon. And I realize that the cloud of witnesses is very much alive today. And they are my inspiration. He says, look at the cloud of witnesses. I'll tell you a couple of stories. There are these two ladies in Syria. They're like this tall. Okay, they're not very, not very intimidating by their physical stature. So they were in Syria at the time of the war. ISIS was there. And uh, they were going to go to serve the people in Mosul. Okay, so there's a city and ISIS was there. And they were, they had, it was like a 10-hour drive. They had to call a driver. And so they're getting ready to go the next day and they're watching the news. And ISIS is like totally destroying Mosul. And everyone's leaving and they're like, but we're supposed to go tomorrow. They're like, okay, let's just pray about it. Let's just pray about it. And they said, let's pray, and then we'll call the driver. Whatever the driver says, we'll do. So they pray, and they call the driver. George, how are you? I'm good. Hey, George, are you watching TV? Yeah. Have you seen what ISIS is doing in Mosul? He said, yeah. She said, well, do you think we should go tomorrow? He says, like, yeah, of course. What? Okay, so they, the driver and these two young ladies, these ladies, they're like heading towards Mosul and everyone is coming out, okay? And as they're going, they're seeing some Muslim groups like kicking like heads of people, like the kids are playing soccer with heads. Like it's just like this fierce, very fierce images. And you know what? They're still going. And they get towards the city and the army says, where are you guys going? Oh, so we're going in there to the, to the city to help them. They're like, no, no, you can't. Like, there's like bombs, mines all over. You can't go. They're like, well, we're still going to go. We have to help. But like ISIS was just there. Like, we're afraid to go in. And they're like, but we got to go. You're not afraid of them? No. So they went in and somehow, like, I guess ISIS had gone the other side of the city. And so they were in there, able to find the Christians that were in there. A lot of the elderly people were stuck in their apartments so they were able to somehow dig deep and get water and find these ways to bring water to the people and they brought light to the church and she has like 60 hours of video she was a former tv personality it's called from darkness to light in syria and she filmed like the churches the people and they started a revival in this place where there was nothing but death said so these two five foot ladies are not afraid of isis it's like wow that's pretty inspiring to me. 
There is this one man, I, I mentioned at our Take Heart dinner. He's a, he's a Catholic monk in Lebanon. This man is crazy. <laughs> crazy holy. Crazy holy. And uh, he lives in a village of about 1,200 people. And he baptized about 550 of them. They were Muslim. He baptized them and made them Christian. Well, he made one decision. He baptized the, she the sheikh, the teacher in the mosque. They baptized his daughter. Well, apparently when you baptize the sheikh's daughter, that kind of makes him upset. So he sent, so, so he sent a group of people, he sent about eight or nine people to go capture him. So they went and they found Father Elias and they kidnapped him. They put something over his head, you know, a cover. And he wasn't really nervous because it was his third time being kidnapped. And um, so they grabbed him. They took him to this, like, mountain area. And they're, like, beating him up and telling him to leave his faith and stop doing this stuff. And it's like, I can't. I'm going to keep doing it. And so they were just torturing him. And they said, your Jesus had these five wounds. So they took cigarette and they put five wounds in each of his legs to the bone to the bone and uh, then they put him on a barrel you know they wrapped him around a barrel and they kicked it down the hill and so it was rolling and rolling and rolling with him for 200 yards he said then he got up he just got up and they're like okay we're done with you just go back and they let him go I was like wow that's pretty amazing and then a few weeks later, and he said, it took me a long time to heal from the wounds in the leg. He said it really was down to the bone, and he couldn't, he couldn't move. But afterwards, he finally recognized two of the group of the two. They were in his village, from his village. So he went, and he found those two boys. He says, hi, guys. I love you. I forgive everything. Just, you know, he just showed love to them, and they actually both ended up becoming Christian. Those are the heroes of faith. Um... I'll tell you, so when I go to Nigeria, uh, have you heard of Boko Haram, that terrorist group that like kidnapped the high school girls? And they've displaced about three million Christians from their homes. It's, the stories are horrific. Um, I'll tell you one story. So uh, a lady and her husband were, and their family were in the village and Boko Haram came and they just fled. You know, when Boko Haram comes to your village, you don't like, oh, they're going to come to our house. No, you just run. You don't wait. You don't take a chance. So they ran with their kids. And they went to the bush. And then they finally found a camp. It's called a uh, camp for refugees, but IDPs, internally displaced people. But then when she left, she's like, I don't know where my parents are. I want to go find my parents. So she went back to find her dad and mom, and she found them on the same day that Boko Haram found them. So Boko Haram was in her house. And in front of her eyes, they shot her dad. Then they put the gun to her head and said, leave your faith. She said, I'm not leaving my faith. So they shot. They missed the brain, but it went through both eyes. So she has this huge scar on her face. Her daughter, her adult daughter was like in her 20s, um, just from seeing the trauma actually died. She like collapsed and died without having been shot or anything. And yet when we go and visit them, they tell us their stories and they're actually praising God. What? Because we look at it differently. We look at what they lost and they look at what God gave them. 
And because for us, you know, death is not as common as it is there, they're so looking forward to heaven. They're running their race faithfully, and Boko Haram or any other enemy against them cannot stop them. And then he says, look at the cloud of witnesses around you. What is the witnesses? Witnesses are the martyrs. Look at this huge cloud of not the people from that are on the icons only, but they're still here. What happens if it sprinkles in Atlanta? Do we still go to church? Oh my gosh. It might be the sign of a monsoon or something. We'll just stay home, you know? Like so many things. Should I read the... No, I don't want to read the Bible. Well, I haven't read it for a week or two. Well, it's okay. Another night's not going to hurt, right? Like for them, they sometimes in some countries, people will lose their life to see a Bible, to have a Bible, to hear a Bible. And we are so sluggish. So he's saying, listen... You have an inspiration. Look at the cloud of witnesses. So, I think it's important for us that we have a goal. Your goal is to run towards the kingdom of heaven and to be united with Christ. And you're like, but it's hard. Look at the people that are suffering way more. And you're like, okay, you know what, if they can do it, I want to run like them. But then the third thing is, in this passage, we have a handicap. You know, when you're running a race... You don't choose, like, those big, you know, snorkeling fins. That would be a little bit cumbersome. You don't grab your heavy backpack. You don't take your larger-than-life iPhone with you when you run a race. You want to be as light as possible. So he says here, you need to lay aside the weight and the sin that hinders you. Why are we not making greater progress towards heaven? It's because we have so many things in our lives weighing us down. And the weight, he says, the weight or the sin. So there's two things. A lot of us are carrying around certain sins that we will not let go. We're carrying around something, whether it be a grudge, and you will not forgive certain people in your life. And then you say, God, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive others. But wait, I didn't forgive everyone, so wait, that means, oh, I'm not going to get forgiven. Wait, why are you not letting it go? St. Paul is saying, let it go. You have certain anger towards someone and you're not making progress or there are certain sins that are enslaving us. We know them. If you have one of those digital things that like you probably all have in your pocket or your purse, those phones, those are enslaving us and we're not willing to read the Bible because we can do this. How many of you look at your average screen time? You know, like sometimes you get like this pop-up. Oh, you only, oh, you decreased it by 20 minutes. You're only at seven hours a day this week, you know? And you're like, but what about my Bible? Not even seven hours in a week. Not even in a month. So like we are being enslaved. There's so many things that are enslaving us, that are hindering us. And especially it could be, a lot of it is a mindset. A lot of what's enslaving us is a mindset. The mindset is what I'm doing here on earth is more important than what's going to happen to me in heaven. So we're working hard for the promotion, for the job, for the vacation home, for the nicer home, for the new car, for the everything. I want to go and I want to pool and I want to let go. I just want basketball and I just want to, all my life is all about here. The mentality that is earthly bound guess what? Remains earthly bound. But the mentality that is heavenly bound is racing towards the kingdom. We do everything we can 
to stay longer here. I'm not saying don't stay here. I mean, Earth is a good place. And, but like we do everything we can. You know, we can actually transplant lungs. We can transplant a heart. We can transplant kidneys. We can do everything. We can put you on a breathing. We can do everything just so that you can stay longer here. And St. Paul says, I'm confused. In Philippians, like, I'm confused. I have a desire to depart. He says, which is far better for me, but I'm going to stay here because of you, because he's serving. How many of us have a desire to go? I feel that's kind of unfortunate. You know, I, people that maybe come from different denominations, they're like, the moment they believe, I'm going to heaven. And that's a great mentality. We need to have that mentality too. God saved us. He gave his life for us, so what? He could also give us his home. He wants us to be with him, and that's where we're headed. Why don't we have that mentality? That's the great mentality. I have a desire to be with my Lord Jesus Christ, the one who loved me and gave himself for me. So the problem is is that we're not willing to let go of some of the weights or sins. And it's, a lot of it is the mindset. The mindset is, I'm fine as I am. I don't need to make more progress. I don't need to try harder. Everything's good as it is. That's actually unfortunate. And that is the sluggish mentality. And St. Paul says, don't be sluggish. Because Satan is trying every step on this journey to knock you down. It's a lot harder to knock down someone that's racing fast, but someone's barely walking. Like, I got this. Satan's like, I got this. You know, we got to be making some progress. He says, lay aside every weight. And again, there's lots of weights, whether it be obligations, it could be pleasures, hobbies, food, depression, illness. We have to think about tonight. I want everyone to think about this tonight. This will benefit. What is it that is hindering your progress, your spiritual progress? Is it an attitude of the spiritual life is boring or too hard? If it's too hard, then ask. Ask someone to help guide you through. Don't make, when you get to heaven, don't have a whole list of excuses on why you didn't try harder. Ask, seek, pursue. This is our role. The last thing is this. We have a goal. We have an inspiration. And we also have an obligation or guidance to lay aside the weight and the sins that hinder us. If you don't get rid of those and you're running with a 100-pound weight on your back, you're not going to go very far. Make a decision. You will be so happy to get rid of certain sins That is why we have confession. Some people are willing to hold on to their sins for decades. Whereas Abuna can pray the absolution where you're absolved and that can be removed. Take advantage of it. Run light. The last thing he says is this. Set your eyes on Jesus. We have an example. We have an example, and this is the whole crux of the matter. This, he says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, this might be some of the best advice I have ever received in the Bible. He says, just look unto Jesus. How often are we looking to Jesus? I mean, really, how often are we looking unto Jesus? When I mention the word or the name Lord Jesus Christ, does it bring 
sweet thoughts to your mind? Does it inspire you? Does it make you want to smile? Jesus Christ, oh yeah. Does it or not? If it doesn't, then maybe that's a problem, shouldn't it? Shouldn't it bring you more hope when you're looking to Jesus? And I thought about this, you know, like in the liturgy. Oftentimes in the liturgy, what, what do we come to the liturgy for? To have communion with Jesus. But you're standing in the liturgy, are you looking for him? We're not looking for him. We're looking around, we're, we're maybe focusing on the words or the songs, but we're not looking for Jesus. And then you get to the communion, you're looking at bread, you're not looking for Jesus. But if you were to see Jesus, you're looking at Jesus, this whole event that we do is super, super more precious and important to you when you're looking at Jesus. And what do we have? You guys have a very small icon, but one day you'll have a large one. What do you look at behind the altar? There's an icon of Jesus Christ sitting on the throne with the angels and the cherubim and the seraphim in heaven, and everyone is praising Him. You should be looking at that Jesus. That's why He's literally behind the altar. We're looking at Him who has conquered on our behalf. That should inspire you. That should encourage you. That should make you want to run towards Him. When you go to communion, we go slow. And I'm not saying this, don't start racing, but like, it should be something that we are running towards, at least in our mind and spiritually. I want Jesus. I want to look unto Jesus. What's the problem when you turn away from Jesus, when you're not looking at him? You guys know another story where someone decided not to look at Jesus? St. Peter on the water, right? He's doing something amazing, and as long as he's looking at Jesus, he's fine. The moment he takes his eyes off Jesus, he sinks. That's us. We're not looking unto Jesus enough. Why? Why be Christian if we're not looking at Jesus Christ? It's almost like saying, I want to get married, but I don't want to see my spouse. What? That's unfortunate for the spouse, right? So if you're going to be Christian, let's seek Jesus. Say, God, I want to see you. I want to see you more clearly. I want my heart to be attached to you. St. Paul says, you want to run? He says, what does he say in terms of what are we looking at Jesus for? He says this, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He despised the shame and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So we're actually looking at his joy. Why was he so joyful? I mean, the cross was, I would imagine if any of you were to be on a cross crucified with nails, it probably wouldn't be very joyful. What was his joy? A couple of things. He was obeying the Father. He said, not my Father, but thy, not my will, but thy will be done. At the end, he could say, you gave me a commandment. I did it. For those of you who have children, I don't know if you ever hear that from them. Say, you told me to do something, I did it. That never happens, right? But when it does, you're like, oh my gosh, that is the greatest thing I've ever heard. You actually did something because I asked you to. Same thing with the Father. Jesus Christ returned to heaven and said, Father, I've done your will. That was his joy to have offered it to the Father. And what was his will? That those children of yours, my brothers and sisters, I went and I saved them. His joy was that he could please the Father and his joy was was that you could be with him. That he could snatch you 
from the fires of Hades. They say it's like example, like a mother lion, like sometimes will let her cubs, like in learning how to fight, will let them like fight the, the prey. And when the prey is overcoming the child, what does the lioness do? Goes and snatches them from the mouth of the predator and saves them. And that's kind of what Christ did for us. He snatched us from the mouth of the predator and it's like they're good now. Such joy. He endured the most horrific thing, and for him it was joy. And it says he sits at the right hand of the Father, having accomplished all this stuff. If you look at Jesus, you guys know who Father Beshoi Camel is? He was a priest uh, in Alexandria in the late uh, 60s, and, and he actually came to America in the late 70s. He was, to me, one of the best servants I had seen. But he has this picture in his room of the cross, and at the bottom of it says, for my sake. He looks at Jesus on the cross every day, and he says, that was for my sake. And he literally loved the cross. He bore his cross with joy for the one who bore it before him. I want you to focus your spiritual life at looking at Jesus. Tell the Father, I just want to see Jesus. Wouldn't that make everything more delightful if you could see him more clearly? He's the one we love. He's the one we believe in. He's the one that we're following. So, I wanted them to leave these words from my Coptic church, which we sing, unfortunately, only once a year. But these last two verses are so appropriate. It says, they were beaten and imprisoned. They lived in oppression. They were burned and killed. Taste their pain by the power of their faith. They overcame. They remained believing in the King of Peace. Can you, can you go to the next slide? It says, Let us arise. One, one more. Let us arise from our sluggishness or laziness. Let us arise. Let's look at what they did. It says, With diligence seeking the heavenly rewards. Guess what they're doing? They're running. They're racing towards the kingdom. He says, the church, you're our pride. Let us join together. We are called to join together with our beloved cloud of witnesses to follow after our beloved Savior who gave himself for us. This is a difficult race, but it's totally worth it. Are your eyes on the prize? Don't take your eyes off the prize. Satan sometimes, he doesn't have to knock you down. He just has to get you to stop looking at the finish line. If you're in the front of the line, you're racing towards the goal, and you're like, oh, a bird, and then you, you leave the race. Oh, that's so unfortunate. We are so distracted. Eyes on the prize. You have to have an inspiration, which is the examples of the amazing people that are persecuted for Christ's sake today in all these other lands. You cannot move forward without letting aside your hindrance. Think about your hindrance and your weight. Lay it at the feet of the cross and ask Buna, can this be removed? And yes, it can. And don't take your eyes off of our beloved Savior, Jesus Christ. I love this time of year because we have such great models. May God bless this year so that if I were to come back next year, you'll say I'm a lot closer to the finish line than I was last year. Okay? God be with you. Thank you for having me. All right, if we can stand and pray together. And how about this? If we can just pray and sing together the last two slides of the song, and we'll conclude with the Lord's Prayer. 
They were beaten and in prison. They lived in oppression. They were burnt and killed and tasted every pain. By the power of their faith, they overcame their pains and remained believing in the King of Peace. With blood and suffering, they bought the faith and preserved it for us in the name of our Savior. Let us arise from our laziness with diligence seeking the heavenly reward the church of our fathers you are our pride to her success let us all join together my Coptic church, her faith is orthodox forever strong. Egypt is for Christ. Lord, give us clarity of thought, clarity of heart to have our eyes on you for us to fight the struggles of being sluggish, of being passive, but for us to endure the race, for us to continue to pursue you, and for us to attain that peace which surpasses all understanding. Through the prayers of all your saints and martyrs and heroes of the faith, Lord, hear us as we all pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.